0: It's good to see you again after three Sundays out of the pulpit. My pleasure to come back and resume preaching. I certainly want to thank uh, Phil Sabella from International Christian Concern who came and preached and I heard that message he gave, which was great. And I want to thank David Galetta. David preached two of the three Sundays I was gone and actually launched us into our Advent series when he preached last week from the beginning of Luke's gospel and was telling us of how the angel presumably Gabriel came to Zachariah the priest and let him know that he and his um, elderly and barren wife he was elderly himself we're going to have a son they were gonna have John whom we would know as John the Baptist we're gonna preach pick up our series here and I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Luke's gospel again chapter 1 And we're going to start in verse 26 and read down to verse 38. And here what we're going to read about is how after Gabriel visited Zechariah, about six months later or so, he visited Mary. Let's read it together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin You see how he moves from kind of the formal greeting to very kind of tender, personal speaking to her? Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And there he said to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God most high, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and this place and everyone here with your Holy Spirit. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, again, David, I appreciate your kicking off this Advent series and uh, his preaching last week on the angel's announcement to Zechariah. And uh, you remember how David explained to you or read to you Zechariah's response. His response was, how shall I know this? How shall I know this is true? How can I know this? And as, as was pointed out last week, the, the issue for Zechariah was his, was his doubt, was his uncertainty. He didn't simply believe what had been spoken was, was true. Now, as you know, the word angel means messenger. And the angel had brought to Zechariah a message from God. And what this effectively had done to Zechariah was it had brought him to a standstill, you know, to a fork in the road of his life that he hadn't expected to to come to. He was either going to trust or he was going to distrust the words that God had given Gabriel to speak. Uh, He was either going to take the way of faith or he was going to take the way of of disbelief, but as it was, as he stood there in that crook or that fork of the road, he was at the he was at the place of doubt. He was at the place of of uncertainty. And now, in the same story before us, Gabriel announces to the Virgin Mary that she would conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, and she would name this child Jesus. And and uh, and and yet we see, in fact. She responds with a similar question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? As a matter of fact, as you go through the six nativity narratives in Luke's gospel, and we will be going through those narratives, I refer to the angel's annunciation, announcement to Zechariah, his announcement to Mary, which is this week, uh, Elizabeth and Mary's interaction, which is next week, the birth of John, which follows, then the birth of Jesus that we'll look at on Christmas Eve, and the presentation of Jesus in the temple, which we'll see on Christmas Day together this year. In all six of those narratives, the focus certainly is clearly on what God said. It's on what God had spoken, and and, and it's coming to pass, but the actions in these narratives aren't So much what God does, the actions in these passages involve very dear common people and whether they trust God or how they express their faith as they're presented with the truth of God, his word or even his word fulfilled. Well, this is important to us and it explains why we're going into this series at this time of year because we, just like them, we come to our own forks in the road all the time. Forks of doubt, forks of uncertainty with respect to the words that God has spoken. Doubt, I think, is our universal default position as, as human beings. I mean, and I think it's understandable. Why wouldn't uncertainty be our default position? There's so much that we do not know, <clears throat> and there's so much that we hear that makes no sense to us, so that it seems implausible at first. And we have to be on guard against being taken advantage of. We don't want anyone to exploit our ignorance. Unless, and yes, let's not also forget the influence of the fall. That's the root, root cause of all uncertainty about God, the fall. It is in our nature to doubt God. It is our nature betraying us. It's in our nature more broadly to doubt what is good, including the goodness of the goodness in the people who are even nearest and dearest to us in life. How often we find ourselves uncertain whether we can trust people who have given us no reason at all to distrust them. So it really shouldn't surprise us, I suppose, that when God comes to us in the gospel, in the sending of his Son as he has, and he says to us, here I am, and here is the truth, it's not so surprising that when that happens, we feel uncertain, even when he went on to suffer for our good. C.S. Lewis wrote this about, uh, about doubting the truth of Christ, and he was writing about the doubting the truth of Christ, doubts among believers, among Christians. He said our, our faith in Christ wavers not so much when real arguments come against it, as when it looks improbable to us, when the whole world takes on that desolate look, which really tells us more about the state of our, our passions, our feelings, what, you know, what's going on inside of us, even our, even our digestion, than it tells us about reality. I think it's very true. You hear C.S. Lewis, is, you know, he's used to that word desolate, this notion of, of having a, a bleak outlook is so much a part of our fallen condition that it can, can color our perception of reality so we really can't even accept or grasp what is real. We find ourselves uncertain. Not because it isn't real, not because it didn't happen, not because it isn't true, but because of our own somewhat bleak outlook. And maybe that was the problem with Zachariah, you know, when Gabriel came to him there. Maybe Zachariah was just having a bad day. Maybe that was what this was all about. But what about Mary? You know, the question that Mary raised was one, she was not really demanding a sign or a proof, as I think Zachariah was. She was really making an inquiry. How will this be since I am a, a virgin? I'm a virgin. I've, literally, I've never known a man. Now, we're amazed, we're amazed at Mary's humility. And The thing that Mary's always celebrated for is her great you know, humility, her purity, her, her chastity. Um, she comes from this very indistinguished town uh, in the middle of nowhere, Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was so indistinguished That there was no extra biblical reference to Nazareth that we knew about at all. Any reference outside the Bible, unless it was referring to the Bible. There was no extra biblical reference to Mary at all. It was known until one was discovered by archaeologists in 1962. I mean, Nazareth was just so remote. And we can be amazed at, 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 this, this, at this Mary who came from there and was this person or at the hardships that she was going to have to face and would be willing to face. But in the end, the thing that is just so amazing about Mary, the thing that was most amazing about Mary is that she was a virgin. She was a virgin. She had never been with a man. So that what the angel announced to her was so completely and totally unnatural. And so when she asks that angel, how would this be? He answers her. And his three answers that he gives to her satisfy her completely. They remove any uncertainty that she felt. And we're going to look at these answers this morning. And of course, the question for all of us is, will these answers satisfy you? Will they satisfy you? What do you do with these answers? Gabriel responds first to Mary in verse 35 by saying this. He says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be, called, will, to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now here, maybe some of you heard the echo here, Gabriel speaks in terms of the creation. Gabriel speaks in terms of the creation in Genesis. This language of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, the power of the Most High overshadowing her, surely recalls the first verses of our Bible. Genesis 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning, the God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And here the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, was going to overshadow or hover over Mary. He had done it before. And we know that as the creation. And now... He was going to do it again. So let me think about this with you. Let's think about this for a few minutes and put it in some contemporary language. God created all nature. And when people reject God's miracles because they are unnatural, what they really mean to say is that, that God's miracles oppose nature. Or that they're anti-natural. But really, they're not anti-natural at all. God spoke creation into existence part by part by his word. Part by part by part. There was nothing natural about the way God created. He did it. The creation does not create itself. He created but who would call his creating nature antinatural? That's the way to describe it, isn't it? Would be that this, these miracles were anti-natural? You know, after God created light on the first day, nature existed. Nature consisted of light and only light. And then He created the expanse of the heavens on the second day. And, and, and that amazing creation miracle on the second day, let me ask you, do you think that it was in any way an assault on light, that it was unnatural or anti-natural or harmful to light, that the miracle of the second day somehow diminished nature as it existed at the end of the first day? Well, of course, it didn't. It didn't. It enhanced It enhanced nature. And when you think about those compounding miracles of creation on each of the successive days of creation, the same is true. Never was was the nature of the previous day betrayed or distorted by the miracle of the next day. Nature easily submitted to this. Nature was enhanced by this. Nature was augmented for this. Nature was created for this. Think about this. Nature exists for the display of the glory of God. Always. Whether in the way God made it or in the way he interacts or acts upon it. This last week, I was in the... uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm sorry, Diane and I went to Phoenix, Arizona to visit uh, my son Mary, or Isaac, and his wife Mary, and my grandson. I can't remember his name right now. And Iroh. Iroh and I were playing with Legos. And I asked Iroh, I said, Well, how can I help you? What can I do with these Legos? He says, You can find the pieces I want. <laughs> So for almost a week, I was IRL's Lego slave. (laughs) But because we were in Phoenix, we drove up to um, the Sonoran Desert, uh, north of Phoenix. We drove to Sedona, Arizona. And, uh, you know, I expected, when we got to Sedona, I expected to see a cowboy town. I did. I expected to see a western town. I expected to see you know spurs and boots and saddles and you know i found a new age mecca that's what sedona is there are these mineral shops everywhere and psychic readings everywhere and and uh and 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 why well because it's all about this this majesty and this beauty in the sonoran desert these great red rocks these huge outcroppings and and mountains it's on the way toward the grand canyon so this is like kind of a taste of that sort of magnificence and beauty and people love to go there but what they end up doing is they actually act you know they're they're kind of worshiping making idols out of these rocks, and there are mineral stores everywhere in Sedona. And I went into one of these psychic mineral stores. Forgive me, but I did. And I was picking up all these rocks, these different, ro- and they promised different things. You know, this rock is good for neck pain. I, man, that's fantastic! This rock will, 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 you know, be, will, will increase your love and relationships. I could certainly use that at my age. This rock will, uh, you know, this rock will, uh, you know, give you peace and 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 help you be composed. And I thought this is great. But, of course, those of you who know me, you know, you know I'm kind of sassy. And so in the, from the middle of the store, you know, everybody's quiet, milling around. My wife's at the other side of the store. And I said, honey, I don't mean to sound like an unbeliever, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling any of this. <laughs> and the funniest thing about it was they had these little red rocks. For like eight, seven dollars and ninety-five cents. I don't know how you put a value on a little red rock, and it had Sedona written on it, and 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 it promised, you know, the good things will happen when you have this rock. And what was ironic to me was like. The whole area for 3,000 square miles around is nothing but little red rocks. I I could easily have picked one up and used nail polish and written Sedona, but I I could buy one here for $7.95 plus tax. So this week I was with my eye doctor. I visited my eye doctor, and the eye doctor, I, I was telling her about my trip. And she said, yeah, you know, I went to Sedona and, and I didn't feel it either. I said, right. She said, but when I went to Switzerland and I was in the Alps, she said, I, I did feel something. You know, I really did feel something. And I said to her, you know what I think you felt? She said, what was that? I said, I, I, I think you experienced c- the cathedral effect. You went into the midst of these mountains. And you saw his mass and beauty and grandeur. And you really were in awe of the creator. You were being evoked or provoked to, to awe of this existence because of the one who made it. And she said to me, you're making me shiver. She said, thank you for being a preacher and bringing me the word this Christmas season. I said, well, that's... That's what I do. (laughs) You see, it's so easy to become an idolater when it comes to creation and to worship the creature rather than the creator. But this is the truth. The truth, I think the truth is that when you have that opportunity to look at the, the vastness of creation and you look at those evidences of this creation's great age and how it endures over time, And when you feel how substantial it is, how, yes, there are changes, but really overall just how gradual change comes, how overall really how unchanging things is. Things are, it really testifies to us, does it not, of God, the Creator, who is Himself infinite, who is Himself truly eternal, and who is himself unchangeable. Even these what we call non-communicable attributes of God are chiseled into the creation. Do We see them reflected. And when we do, we are deeply affected by this. Because the entire creation exists for the glory of God. Whether it's the way he made it or whether it's his acts upon it in the miraculous Creation doesn't say, come worship me. The creation says, come worship the one who made us all. Come worship the one who is over all of us. You think about this. We live and we breathe and we have our being because of God's miracles, his miracles of creation. And people who spend their existence railing against the supernatural God um, and make their point so eloquently, and ridicule the faith of believers, they only can do this because they exist in this world. And this very existence itself, existence itself is evidence of God's miraculous power, and wouldn't exist apart from His miraculous work. Well, God told Mary... That the Lord would create, he would, the Lord of creation would act supernaturally in the midst of her body as he had acted at the beginning. And that now this, this dear and, and tender creation would yield and would conform to God's word. And a child would be conceived. It was not too unnatural to be true. God acted so it was true. Just as he acted so that nature exists. It was not too unnatural. And I would say to you this morning, it was too wonderful not to be true. Because in this way, God would accomplish the purposes he had revealed through his prophets over the centuries. Concerning the sending of his son, concerning Christ. Christ. And when this happened in Mary, Mary, the creation herself, the creature herself, was deeply fulfilled, not ruined. And this tender creature who had a voice, unlike the rocks that we metaphorically say, cry out and sing. No, this creature who had such voice sang, for now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. This whole creation waits, the Bible says in Romans, for the revealing of the sons of God in glory when Christ returns. Waits! (laughs) There's nothing incompatible between nature and God in his working of miracles. But Gabriel had more to say to Mary for her to hear. He adds in verse 36, he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Now, that was a very dear thing of Gabriel to have done. Gabriel brings things close to home for Mary. You know, she knows Elizabeth. And Gabriel saying to, to Mary, and Mary, you know, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Miracles don't tear the fabric of creation apart. Miracles don't leave the creation scarred. They leave creation better off, healed, restored. That's what they do. And you could ask Zachariah's wife Elizabeth, and she would surely tell you that. But this wonderfully, this wonderful statement that that the angel makes to Mary. It's, not, it's not, about, it is not about a comparison between the two infants, John and Jesus. It is about a comparison between the two mothers and conditions which made conception impossible. But as it was wonderfully unique in Mary's case, a new creation altogether was going to begin. And by this, I mean a creation beyond our present creation. Because in Mary, the word became flesh. And in the conception of Jesus, we not only have a God-breathed act, but a God-breathed human being as inseparable from the Father's deity as he is from his mother's humanity. So in this analogy, Gabriel gave to Mary this something she could really relate to. Someone, talked about someone she was familiar with, reassuring her. And yet still, what was happening with Mary was greater. And so Gabriel goes ahead and he gives to Mary her third consolation. He said, for nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. This is who God is. Nothing's impossible God. The future tense here is important. Nothing will be impossible with God because Gabriel is telling Mary that the God who, rama- who miraculously caused Sarah and Abraham to conceive Isaac and Hannah and Elkanah to conceive Samuel and had recently done the same thing with Zechariah and Elizabeth, well, the, he's the God of the impossible and nothing will be impossible for him with Mary. Mary, I just want you to know it. I want you to know it. Because what I'm going to do with you, the likes of which has actually never happened before. So this statement, nothing will be impossible with God, this is not a God versus nature statement. This is a God over nature statement. Twice in our passage, in verse 32 and in verse 35, Gabriel calls God. By this name, the most high, the one's over all. This is a God over nature statement. To say nothing is impossible with God is also to make a uh, God versus evil statement, but not a God versus nature statement you know if you find yourself stuck in the fork of a road if you find yourself stuck in that that place of doubt over whether or not to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus or to dismiss the virgin birth of Jesus or simply to remain in the in that in that point of doubt of uncertainty that we call doubt this would be my this would be my counsel to you it's very likely that you misunderstand who God is and you misunderstand what nature is and that you misunderstand the relationship between God and nature. Miracles are the work of the creator in his own creation. They do not subvert the creation. They subvert the fall, the sin, the suffering, the consequences of the creation. Of the fall, rather. They subvert that, but not creation. In fact, they help restore and enhance it. Notice Mary's response with me in verse 38. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Now, earlier in our passage, in verse 31, the angel had said to Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And then in verse 36, the angel had said to Mary, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. But now it's Mary's turn, dear thing. And now she says to the angel, behold, I have a message for you. You've brought this message to me from God. Now I have a message for you to take to God. I have an announcement. Behold, I am the Lord's servant and let it be to me according to your word. It's almost too beautiful for words. Think of this young lady, virgin, 13, 14 years old in the presence of this great angel in glory whose appearance in Daniel caused him to fall, prostrate and Basically lose his sense of self before mary and and Mary says he said, behold behold and mary says now I, I, I have one for you. you imagine that little oh, Mary in the big, behold I' am the lord's servant, and be it done according to his word. I think this is a very apt response for you and for me in the wake of every weighty challenge, every suffering trial, every holy calling that demands sacrifice when it comes on us, especially suddenly and unexpectedly. Let's think again what the angel led Mary through. He helped her to recall who God is and what God had done. He recalled he led her to recall what God's promises were and is talking with her about the promises of the Messiah. And he he helped her. He reminded her of living examples accessible to her that she could easily understand, living examples of God's great faithfulness. And I refer to the example of of Elizabeth and of Zechariah. And that's for us too. When we find ourselves in that listen, let's remember who God is. Let's remember what God has done. Let's remember what his promises are to us. Let's think of those in our life in our orbit of experience to whom God has exposed us who have actually gone through similar things and how faithful God has been to them. Take courage and comfort from it all so you can say in the face of it all, and behold, now I have something to say. I am the Lord's servant, and let it be done according to his word. The angel left Mary just after she made her announcement. And, of course, the sense of that is that the angel left. He took that message back to the Lord. And I would just say to you this morning that whether whether an angel appears to you at those moments of your life or not to take down your announcement, to take down your resolution of, of faith and confidence in God, regardless of whether you get an angel. What you have to know is that God hears you and he sees you. And you have to know that as with Mary, God honors those who honor him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for this portion of your word. It was so dear and tender mary just so mind-bogglingly wonderful young woman and i think of the young women in our church who are of her age or near that age and how precious they are to you and lord i pray that you would encourage them in their faith in you and confidence in you encourage them to walk out the beauty of purity In their lives the Lord be with us all when we come to those to those forks in the road yes Lord where we feel uncertain we're not immune to doubt Lord help us help us in following the way Mary followed as the angel led her God may have he said of us we responded behold I have an announcement. I'm the servant of the Lord. And let it be done according to his word. Comfort us with this, Lord, and give us peace in the midst of our lives. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.